Hi guys and welcome to another episode of The Trading Desk. My name is Joshua Thanos and my guest and co-host today is Jonathan Callahan. Hello, hello. Hey John, how are you? Doing alright man, how are you? Eh, you know, as good as we can be. Obviously dealing right. with uh, current events right now, the uh, coronavirus is sweeping across the world in the U.S. and so right now uh, I am in sunny South Florida and where are you at? I am not in sunny South Florida. I am in uh, cloudy Cleveland, Ohio, but uh, I am actually glad to be here right now. I've got the Cleveland Clinic right up the road doing nice. some big things, so we are, we're glad to be here. Awesome, man. Well, that's great. So uh, like, uh, what, about 90% of the U.S. workforce right now, we're working from home. Um, yep. So, you know, luckily, over the last few years, maybe not even on purpose, but uh, the, uh, our company, Watchbox and Godbert Jewelers, has kind of uh, worked everything into a scenario where we can just use the technology that we have to basically do our job from kind of wherever we're at. So uh, that's, that's something, right. you know, I, luckily, um, you know, I've been doing this since uh, back in November. Uh, I've been yeah. working remotely from my home in, in Florida and, and visiting uh, visiting Philadelphia about once a month or so. And I think you've been kind of doing the same, right? Yeah, I've been uh, remote since April. Actually, it's been about a year now. Um, Nice. I was remote when I moved back to Cleveland, so we were able to do it. But I also had the store to work out of. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been working remote on and off now for about a year, so gotcha. it works fine. I mean, what we what we're able to do remotely is awesome. I think it gives us an advantage, definitely, over other people in our space, and mm -hmm. makes makes a lot of sense. It's easier for you because you're in a great market. Yeah. For me, I'm not in the, the hottest market in the world, but there's still good good clientele up this way. Sure. Um, but it's nice to get out and be able to get face to face occasionally. Well, well Godberg Jewelers has been in. Cleveland for how long? They were there for five years. Five years? They okay. were there for five years. Yeah, we just we closed the store at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, as the lease went up, but it's time, uh, you know, we still have a presence. Myself, Peter Bell in Cleveland Market, so yeah. we have a couple of us. Yeah. Peter's Meeting from customers pretty regularly. Right? Yeah. Okay, so you guys are both from Cleveland. Yep. We both are. Nice. Cool, yeah. And I, obviously, yeah, I've been meeting a lot of my clients here. I have a clients buying and selling you know I'm happy to get out of the house to go meet with them and uh, probably not so much in the next few weeks but um, yeah luckily we have uh, an inventory system that we can access remotely you know it's high security but um, you know because we have a great you know IT and security team but we can access it remotely so we can see kind of what we have in inventory at any given time really from anywhere in the world and then yep. uh, you know we have some great support staff at our headquarters in Philadelphia so we because there, you know, obviously there's going to have to be some interaction with inventory. So right now, I guess all our salespeople are working from home, and uh, and once we uh, strike a deal with a customer, we go ahead and you know send over those, uh, you know, do our deal sheets on our end, uh, detailing the uh, the deal, and send it over to our support staff. They go ahead and pack and, and ship everything out. So we've been having a lot of good success the last uh, about a week or so starting this. And again, like you know, yeah. you and I have kind of been the the ipso facto uh, test pilot for this and it just just right. happens it uh now it's necessary so now it's necessary that's right yeah, yeah. so how do you how so do you like going on from home it's it's to for me right now obviously under the circumstances like the state of ohio uh shut down public schools so as of yesterday my son who's in kindergarten is being homeschooled and mm. maybe for the rest of the year it's supposed to be for the next three weeks but I, the likelihood of that is probably not going to happen i'm sure that they're going to close schools for the rest of the year at this point uh, but otherwise you know i've been doing it like you said like i've had to work out of my home for a while uh it's it's easy just you know kids running in the background that's all I'm trying to mm -hmm. keep them 
busy. Yeah. So, what about you? It's got to be, look, you're looking at a pool, so there's there's worse things to be looking at right now, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So, when the weather's good, we set up on the back patio here. It's just kind of my man cave of the house, and uh, I've, I've been really enjoying it. It does, I'll tell you, there are pros and cons, obviously. So, it's, you know, one thing that I, I do miss is the kind of, you know, the action of the of the trading floor. So, being yep. there with everybody um, and... Uh, and, you know, sometimes feeling left out because there's some group text and, and uh, you know, I try to get in, in on those. But I'll tell you one thing, though, and I think that, like, uh, if we're looking at the positives of this whole scenario, it's going to be, you know, we're going to have a lot more digital interaction with the whole sales team, seeing now as everybody's kind of in the same boat as I've been for and you've been in for a little while where, you know, we don't get to see every trade and things that, that goes down. So now, you know, all the interaction is going to be on these, say, WhatsApp channels and whatnot. So we have we actually have a better uh, view of, of what's happening on the trading floor. Cause that, again, that was the one thing, you know, uh, yeah. obviously, you know, uh, sitting there and being able to talk out the deals and hearing, you know, hearing, okay, that guy's working on a, uh, on an AP deal. What's, what's the price, what's the customer right. want for it? All those things, those all, you know, kind of go into your computer, right? Every day. And you're now you get a, a better sense of the market. So that was one thing I had to kind of adjust and, and so, you know, I know some local dealers here that I keep up with and find out what they're buying and selling things for and as well as try to stay in, in as close contact with everybody on the trading floor as possible. So now, again, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be an adjustment for us for the next few weeks. But, um, but yeah, overall, I like working from home. Uh, I think it's good for, for business in general because it lowers expenses, right? So now you don't have to have as much square footage for a lot of these companies. Yeah. So if I had to make a prediction... At the end of all this, um, you know, once once we as a country and a world get past this, uh, you're going to see a lot more companies uh, that were maybe uh, opposed to the idea of remote working, um, but actually, you know, kind of embracing it, uh, seeing it, it'll cut costs, and also, you know, when there is a situation such as this, who knows? You know, everything you yeah. read, they say there's going to be more and more of these types of scenarios as as the world, uh, you know. Kind of grows closer together in terms of like global yep. economy and, and people traveling and whatnot. So you're going to see more of these, whatever we call them, pandemics or whatever. So this is this is a good test run. This allows us to to be you know stay connected without having to you know pass these types of viruses and things. So overall, right. I enjoy work from home. I got you have the, your two kids. I have one on the way probably in the next few weeks. My wife, if it was up to it's her, she'd be, she'd be giving birth today. Right, thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. yeah. But, uh, be rushing got, out in the middle of the podcast. Yeah, well, if her if her water breaks it's down, yeah, I'm just I'm not even gonna say anything. I'm gonna can I can down. I give you advice? I'll Please. give you a little bit of advice. When the water breaks, take your time. Take it's your gonna time. be a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's not panic time. It's not panic time. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, yeah, we're ready. We've been ready, and I'd say that's another thing that's great about being able to work from home is is that you know I'll be another helping hand for for the baby, so it's not like uh, I have to yeah. walk to an office every day. So you know, these, right. these things are you know there's positives obviously and negatives of this whole thing, but um. But all right, well let's let's talk let's talk watch it, Johnson. Yeah, let's do it. So you you've been working for Godbridge for how long? Uh, it'll be actually six years in August now. Okay, well watch six watch, years I guess. in August because watch yeah, box was, was twenty seventeen, yeah. right? That's when we yeah we did watch box. So well, you've been in six years. I started with uh, Watch You Want uh, a little over seven years ago. So you know we're we're kind of in the uh, working for the same company for roughly the same amount of time. But you were in the yeah. watch world before that, yeah. I was, yeah. So I worked at a. I'm from Cleveland. That's why I'm here, obviously now. But we had a store at the time, um, a family jewelry store. I started working at in high school, uh, literally cleaning toilets, and then went to doing other watch-related things as I went through high school. Uh, then college opened up. We 
when I was in college, we opened up a store in the Cleveland, sort of like the high-end east side, um, and was doing watches since I've been 20, so it's the, this is year 14. Oh, wow. Year 14, yeah, so it's been a while. Yeah, you've been in it, so I think similar, I yeah. guess, like Jason Main is kind of my normal uh, co-host, he normally, or he's been in the watch world probably about the same amount of time, he was started with Tourneau, but, uh, so your, right. so your family's been in, in jewelry and watches for a long time. So the, it was weird, or ironic, I should say, it was my next door neighbor growing up was in the jewelry business, and then um, I just like literally, my mom one day was like, "Hey, I got you a job," and I was like, "Sweet, all right, looks like I know what to do." Uh, Starting next week, yeah, yeah, like I literally just turned fifteen, and she was like, "I got you a job." I was like, "All right, well, what about school?" And she was like, "I got you a job." Oh wow, sweet, yeah. So that's. Family, not so much, but um, uh, friends of the family definitely have been in it for a long time. Gotcha. So did you have any interest in watches before you started working there? Nope. Okay. None. Yeah, didn't really know anything about it. Wasn't even uh, something that I would have thought about. Like, just had had no no clue, no understanding. Really, at that point, I mean, at 15, I wanted to play in the NBA. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the league. Well, you are tall. How tall are you? 6'3". Uh, oh, but I was like... Be a small point guard. Yeah, it was, but I was playing like center against my friends, yeah. so it was. Yeah, when obviously those dreams aren't happening, but it did did lead me to like uh, I had a job all through, which is sort of I think relevant now through the 2008 financial crisis. I had a job, um, you know, in the in the business. I got an opportunity to manage a store really young. I was only 22 when I got my first manager job. So, wow. in a watch store where you're carrying like half million dollar pieces of inventory so it, it meant a lot like I mean I, I, get, I just got exposed to everything early like my favorite stories from high school and we'll talk about those because it's just or just just out of high school but like those are instrumental and it sort of is what's happening now anyway so as we talk about the business and what's going on we'll, yeah. we'll un, unpack some of that nice so I guess well so then I was I yep. guess I started 2012 so after the you know after the financial crisis, um, yeah, some people know you know I, I actually went overseas to work uh, see kind of supply chain stuff. I was actually in China, which is now a topic yeah. in the news right now. I, I, in Shanghai, but I traveled all around and and uh, got actually got the what every expat gets is a little food poisoning. I think I lost eleven pounds in two months. <laughs> from eating some street noodles or something like that. So yeah, it, it, oh, the cleanliness standards are, I mean, well, obviously any place you eat street food is going to be bad, but you know, the standards of cleanliness are a little bit different around the world. I can agree on that. So, right. Um, but so I, I saw, you know, supply chain stuff, uh, working, doing QC and doing some sales for a uh, for an export company uh, based out of Shanghai. Um, came back and then, you know, just got, got kind of got lucky, uh, ended up getting introduced to yep. Beck. She offered me a job. She was looking for good salespeople, and then I hit the ground running. It turned out to be just the perfect fit for me. You know, I, yep. I'm a salesperson through and through. But yeah, similar to you, I had no interest in watches. I didn't know anything. I had so I had a fake Hublot Tourbillon that I bought at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you at, did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tourbillon, yep. Uh, uh, <laughs> I bought that at the fake market in Shanghai, the Jingan fake fake market, uh, and I had like a G Shock, and that was all I knew about watches. I had heard yeah. about Rolex and I heard about Tag Heuer. Those were the only two brands that were kind of on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, being the kind of person I am, uh, who I just get obsessed with things so quickly that, you know, within a few months, well, I, well, so to take it back, I remember 
having a conversation with a friend of mine saying, hey, I just sold an $8,000 watch today. Can you believe somebody would spend $8,000 on a watch? Right. So like nowadays, not to be like jaded or whatever, but like, you know, you, you get somebody who wants to buy an $8,000 watch, you don't get that excited, you know, when, when, you, when you're selling, yeah. you know, when, right. when your average sale price of a watch is maybe like $25,000 to $8,000 right. sale, it's like, I don't know, you know, hopefully I don't have to do yeah. too much to make this sale. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know. No, it happens, man. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, it's but, crazy. Uh, but yeah, now I've, you know, I'm a collector. I have a stupid amount of watches, way too many watches. I don't, my, Do I don't have a baby yet. Yeah, I've been collecting, yeah. man. I have, I, well, I've, I've whittled it down now, but I, at one time I probably had about 75 watches. Um, what? Probably about, yeah, probably about 15 or 20 would be like, you know, watches that say like Goppers would trade in uh, and Watchbox yeah. would trade in. Um, right. But, uh, and then the rest were just like weird. Like I got, I went down the rabbit hole with some weird stuff like Yema. Have you ever seen? Have you ever heard of Yema before? How do you spell it? Y E M A. I th- yeah, I think like in, you know, just in passing and photos and stuff that pops up occasionally. Yeah, I mean, I obviously don't know anything about the brand, but <laughs> well, it's, it's like a, like, I, I believe it's a French brand. They've been around for a long time. They use like value. So you know, I have a friend who was a customer, who became a really good friend of mine, and he like he has probably two hundred watches at any given time, and he runs a gamut from having like. You know, Patek Philippe Grand Comps to like these Yemas and like Helios yeah. watches and stuff. So he kind of introduced me to the lower end of like micro brand collecting. So I got right. Yemas, I got, um, I have a Helios, which I'm absolutely obsessed with right now, uh, and uh, like oh, vintage Bulavas, Bulava Divers, yeah. and like weird vintage watches that like, you know, trade for between $500 and $2,000, stuff like that. So right. that's kind of what I have now, and with the since the wife's been uh, pregnant, I've kind of started trading, trying to trade those watches into like maybe a little bit more higher end watches. So I have a bunch of Panerais now, and I have a Rolex, and uh, I don't know Breitling that I've had forever, Omegas, things like that. But it's funny, you know, you go from somebody, you know, say seven years ago, who I I wouldn't be able to pronounce Patek Philippe, to a guy you know who who has that's right you know a large amount of my net worth is in watches right now so it's it is a little crazy well, how that goes right it's, it is crazy yeah i mean you just people who get hooked into watches that don't have it, it's always like most of the stories we hear from customers is uh, my uncle or my dad or somebody like left me a watch or he had a watch and then i got into him but they're it's the guys that like didn't know anything about watches that just one day go this looks cool and you're like yeah it's pretty cool and then they just go, they just start losing themselves in it. Like, it's happened to happen to a buddy of mine. I mean, it's just like an actual personal friend. Like, he just all of a sudden got into watches one day. And I was like, sweet. Like, you know, he didn't. It's it's because it's a weird, it's sort of like a weird um, club to get into. Like, yeah. if you're on the outside, like, nobody understands why people buy and collect watches and collect they look that. Us. Yeah, they're like, you would, like, like you said, somebody would spend that kind of money on a watch. And then, you know, yeah. That's what happens, and eventually people, uh, yeah, they go, they, they go crazy. It's well, cool though. It, it, it is. It's interesting. So, like, more on that point. Like, I have, like, I have some good friends who make a lot of money, own their own companies, and they like, they'll they'll spend money on boats. Like, I have a friend who just remodeled his house, spent like fifty thousand bucks, just dropped it, not a problem. And and but I talked to him about like a five thousand dollar watch, and he just looks at me like sideways. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean five? How could I spend five thousand dollars on a watch? Right. Whereas like. Right. And, and even more to that, uh, like, so I was, I'm setting up the home office here and, and I, for some reason I got in my head that I wanted a nice desk, right? Uh, you know, if I'm going to spend a lot of time at the desk, I want to have something that's really nice, not some press board BS. 
so I started looking at desks. I go to like Crate and Barrel and I go to a few other consignment shops and looking for something. So like I found one that I liked for like thirteen hundred dollars, which is a lot of money, right? Yeah. For a desk, but seems if somebody like it. offered. Well, it seems like it, right? Because well, right. I don't know anything about desks. I don't know what the yeah. value of desks are or anything. And right. But so it took me, it took me like a good two months of doing research and going back and forth and and you know trying to convince myself to that this was worth it in order to spend that amount of money. But uh, I mean, I uh, I have on a whim spent five, six, eight thousand dollars on a on a watch on a Panerai that I know is not right. worth it. So right. it's like it, it's such a weird segmentation that you put in your mind that like, hey, you know, this is worth it. That's not. You know, I didn't yeah. Think about it. Once you start buying watches, then you understand. That's what I try to tell my friends. I go, you know, I even give them watches sometimes. So I say, listen, there's something different. When you have something that's handmade for the most part, or that's you know, a mechanical, you know, bad machine that's going to be telling the time on your wrist. Right. Maybe your cell phone will tell what time, but I guarantee you, start wearing watches are going to use Yeah. Yeah. It, today yeah a guy who's now buying fb jorns and three years ago we were talking about trading brightlings and he was just okay. getting into it yeah but we had look and this is what i tell people i'd rather have customers like this i told him on the phone uh yesterday i said i'd rather have customers like you where i have to spend 10 hours of phone calls before every transaction mm-hmm. because you're listening and you are actually valuing um the education part Right, like I have a lot of good customers where I talk to on the phone, and it'll be thirty seconds. You have them too. They're just like, "Hey, what's the price? Great, sounds good. Send me the wire or information." Like, and then it's done. This guy needs an hour on every deal, and it's totally fine because I think that's the healthiest way. Like his learning curve, like cut in half, right? Because he's actually spending the time in, in having a conversation with you. And and by the way. At Watchbox, we spend a lot of time talking to people, and I don't know that oh, yeah. that's always the case with dealers because you get hear it a lot. Like, I worked with some another guy, and they just won't spend any time with me. I get it. That's you know we Svetlana in, who who just you know just sends you the email says best price you buy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so so that's sort of what I mean. Like, and then you get the you get it's all transactional, and like we are mm-hmm. in the we're in the relationship business. Like that's what we have to do. There's a reason. JT, you have customers from seven years ago, and I have customers from 14 years ago. It's because, like, I only had one approach early in my career, and that was, like, you just latch on to everybody who walks in the door. So I I remember you you make friends, but I almost remember every single sale that I had and person that I met early in my career. Like, I just met somebody in Cleveland up here um, right before we closed the store, but he came. I saw him. I knew where he lived. I knew what he did, and I remember the hat he wore the first time I met him, and it was at a show that we had in 2006. Like, it was just because it was like, I was like, I'm going to try and sell this guy a watch. He's some hotshot attorney, and, like, I don't know. Like, I'm just some kid who's going to college part-time. And Mm -hmm. then 
when I when he came back in, you know, ten years, twelve years later, it was like, oh yeah, I remember you. And then he's like, I actually sort of remember you too. And then that conversation mm-hmm. happens. But it's, but who who like of the dealers? I'm sure that happens a lot. But I think that that's important to still maintain that sort of level of focus on your customer. Well, there, I think that there's definitely, especially in this industry, what I've seen, obviously, you know, we're both young, so it's not like we have, you know, 50 years of experience in the business world or anything like right. that. But what I've seen from when I first got into this industry to now is that the the um, emphasis on a relationship and, like, getting to know the guy you're buying and selling with is uh, is becoming more popular. So you see a lot of watch dealers are now online. Right, um, there or sorry, on on YouTube and have podcasts and things like that because, right. you know, again, this is this is a frivolous hobby. Right, we can all agree that there's no there's never a reason, like a real reason other than I want to, uh, to buy or sell a watch. Right, this is right. just that's just that's the effect. But you know, it's what I always like to say: it's a celebration of success. So you get to yeah. um, you get to uh, I get to and with every transaction, I get to celebrate the success. Yep. Yep. I think you're, you're like me, but you're a good person. So like, I love talking to people. Some people, yeah. it. You know, some people are numbers guys and they just want to you know, be accountants or some guys who want to be a question. I would be miserable in a, in a job where I could not, you know, interact with people on a daily right. basis. Um, you know, I was I was in the, uh, the hospitality industry, you know, through high school and uh, in college. And I, I mean, I really loved, I loved, that was one thing, you know, being a waiter is not always the best job, but the fact that you get to talk to different people on a daily basis, it just kind of drove me. So this fit well for me, and the fact that, you know, Watch You Want, uh, which is now Watchbox, and Godbergs, which is now Watchbox as well, you know, they understood and took that emphasis probably before anyone else that yeah. it's it's about relationship building because anybody can get their hands on these watches. And right. we do a good job. We have a huge inventory. But if you don't trust or like the people you're doing business with, you're not going to do it again. So. That's it. That's, that's the key, and I think that'll remain the key and especially as the disruption of what's going on right now and then I you know we listen there was tons of disruption in our industry the last couple of years starting with Watchbox and how we um, you know came together to really focus on a on a pre-owned brand like that was right. the, the goal and that's what we're achieving and just sort of setting a standard for the um, for the way we're doing it for the industry uh, and then Switzerland then has come to realize like there's something to this as they yeah. should Dude, listen. Well, they, they bought Watchfinders. Man, I, yeah, right, exactly. They bought Watchfinders, and they are just, and I'm not kidding you, because I just saw the uh, Watch Pro article this morning that came, that we get subscribed to, but, like, the internet is still a novel concept to the Swiss watch industry. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it doesn't, like, it wasn't until a couple of years ago they even wanted product on people's websites. Like, yeah. they didn't understand it. They didn't, they didn't know how to utilize it. They didn't understand how it worked for their business. And I'm just like, we used to get it all the time at my last job, which was, you know, you guys shouldn't put product up on the website. And it was like, but this was early. This was like 2003, 2004. It was like, why? You have advantage, you can take advantage of all these other people. There wasn't Google AdWords. It wasn't anything like that quite yet. So you were just, you could just do it. And it's still like literally having the same conversation today. All that's got to change. If this, if this industry wants to remain healthy, it's going to have to change. Especially right. retail, not not so much in our business, but retail for sure. You know? Well, you see, well, like, and that's the other thing. So, one of the things that's coming out of this is that all these major events have been canceled. So, SIHH and Basel were both canceled this year. So, you know, these brands are now going to be forced to make any releases that they do make are going to have to be online. And like you see, 
like you said, you know, they're just getting into it. So uh, Instagram has been around since probably like 2012 or so, so like yep. eight years, right? So right around the time, right when I got into the industry, which I got on Instagram with, like, I was talking about that in our office, like, hey, guys, let's... So I ran our... I ran the Watch You Want Instagram for a couple of years, and, uh, you know, like, I had to log in. I was making all the posts. Now, now luckily, we have, like, real professionals doing that, not right. just some idiot, idiot who has access to watches. Um, but, uh, but so Paddock, last year, got on Instagram, and it was, like, a big deal. It was a huge deal. It was a yeah. huge deal. So, yeah. Maybe the best, the greatest brand in the history of watchmaking, whatever you want to call it, whatever. They it took them forever to get on Instagram, and even like Rolex is on Instagram now, but you know it's not like they they do it for engagement. They're just average. It's like it's just like they take their billboards that are you see on the on that's 95, all they do. They yeah. just post it yeah. on, on right. their Instagram. That's that's but, and you know it's everybody's going to utilize that these mediums differently. We've done an awesome job. Like our management has fully embraced. We're doing this. Like we're shooting. <laughs> we're literally sitting here on a work day shooting a podcast because they give us the green light to do it. And and it and what I and I truly believe this. We add more value by just doing podcasts and giving people free information all the time. Like we just go on there and just hey, look, we're not asking you to buy. We, I've never seen one of our podcasts or or shows that you and, and Jason have done or anything that I've ever done where it's been like you should be buying buy this, this watch at this price. Like this isn't QVC. Like this is a we're like legitimately offering up all the free advice you could possibly want. And we got people learning about watches from our Watchbox Studios programs, which is amazing. Like I just had a customer who got hooked into Jorn. Um, in the last 30 days with us anyway and it was from six months of watching YouTube stuff, our, our channel specifically I think it's awesome like look how much awesome. free information's out there and we are providing a, a ton of content I love it I think it's super so I, and I agree and I, I think that's a fantastic segue yes whether it was uh, intentional or not but into kind of what I want to talk to you about today which is you know your your background or your kind of foundation was in independence right? that's right and, yep and I've said many times that um, the future of the watch world, and that was before this, you know, what you want to call crisis or whatever, uh, is independence. And, but I still think so. I think this actually maybe even supercharges that. Because of YouTube, because of Facebook, because of uh, Instagram, you, you have a, a direct-to-consumer way to uh, promote your brand. So small yep. brands that make small runs of watches, you can reach out directly to the people who want to buy your watches and all exactly. make I'll make one uh, example specifically. So I got into Helios a few months ago. I went and found the watch that I wanted. I found it on eBay, negotiated with the guy, ended up paying over retail for the damn thing. Uh, really? It's $675 nice. retail. I bought it for 900 bucks. Whoa. But seriously, like, I just, yeah, I got, hey, man. It's an hey, over listen, retail if it's brand. Over, you're over, you're over. That's great. Yeah, well, there's there's two over retail brands right now, uh, uh, independent brands, and that's Jorn and Helios, apparently. But, right. Um, one thing that was that, that that was awesome, and one of the reasons why I I kind of dove into the brand and why I, I'm really obsessed with the watch is that as soon as I bought it, I posted a picture, tagged Halio's brand in it, and I was able to get in touch with whoever runs their Instagram account, which in my head is the, the watchmaker, which is Jason Lim or the owner of the brand. So you know you can have direct um, uh, direct. Uh, contact yep. with the people who are making your watches and that's, that's something right. that like you never you can never do that in the past. if you bought a rolex like there's nobody like buying a day trust and being able to talk to you know somebody in switzerland who made the day trust. come on get out of here with that guy. right 
So, right. uh, so it's it, it, that really has changed. So, what, what are your views on that? You know, coming from a, uh, from a standpoint of, of from the beginning or from the beginning in, in terms of like the growth of, of these independents. Yeah, I I I mean, so you're right. I got er started my company that I work with. Uh, we did only independents in a very usually they were the micro independents, um, super high end. You know, like Christophe Claret and Grupo Forzi and Beauvais, like. And, but what's interesting is they're, I think, way better positioned now than they were back then because you still had to go through the right retail channels and the right retail. Like, we were very, very em, embraceive of, em, em, embraced, I think embrace is the word, but embraced the uh, uh, the independent scene because you, you, we, you could still arrange that. If you had customers, you could be like, hey, look, um, you know, we're having the watchmaker for so-and-so come in. Uh, this week, you should come by and see it, get a chance to talk to them, and then it works. And people were willing to part with a lot of money in, in certain cases uh, because you know Grupo Forzi is not cheap, Ove is not cheap, uh, Christophe Claret is not cheap. So those guys, uh, you know, that communication, getting that one-on-one thing, that it's only gone social. Like that's the major difference. And the companies that are playing it the right way are going to win in the end. And there are there's so much more out there right now. Like every time I'm on Instagram, I find a new like little guy. There's guys in the US, Joshua Shapiro and out in LA. He's yeah. doing his his stuff is amazing. It's amazing. How do we not like the fact that it took an Instagram post to find out about him for me was a, a miracle. Like I was like this is amazing. A publication may go in there, but then it's 30 days away and then how do you relate to your customers? Like I just for my customers that like these kind of guys, and you've got them too, I literally just took the Instagram account, forwarded it to the guys that I know are on there, and we're like, now this is how you make watches. Like, look at this guy. This is amazing. Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's producing. I'm sure it's going to yeah. be hard to get a watch from him, but you can at least open up and have the relationship. Well, I think it, you're right. It, it, it'll be hard to get a watch from a guy like that, and that actually creates even more demand. So, That's like, right. And, and then on top of that, it'll, it'll encourage guys who maybe have the um the acumen um and have like the you know the uh, foundation to, to build these brands but are like, worried oh well, no one's going to want to buy this it's like, well no listen man like if you can make a watch that you absolutely love there's going to be people out there who are, are going to love it too and then they're going to love your story so like jordan was one of that one of those but yeah so it's funny like what, you, what you're saying like you know you were inviting these guys you know uh, uh you know from mbnf or wherever uh and people are coming in to meet these people so now you know, I can meet these guys on social media, like the Gronfeld brothers. That's right. Or on social media, they're they're they're, they're nuts from what I understand. But yeah. Like, you could buy one of their watches, take a picture. There's so few of them that are made. Take a wrist shot. You know, overlooking you know your yacht or wherever you are. Tag them in it, and then they're gonna they might like your picture. You start up a conversation, and then they're like, hey, and then they offer you something special. Like, hey, this one's just just came out of the factory. What do you think about this? Only five of these made. Right. So. It, Super it, smart. It, it creates a whole new, yeah, oh, absolutely. But it creates a whole new market for these um, for these watches. And uh, I think what's great now is that you know there's for the, for the brands that are making very few watches. So like, Jorn makes less than a thousand watches a year. Probably less. Than, I think last year they said they made seven hundred watches or so mechanical watches. And then there's you know brands like MBNF that are making like how many? I mean, what did they make twenty five watches a year or something? Yeah, like that? it's or, super small uh, batch. Yeah. Yeah, super small batches. So. Um, but right now the demand, well, as right now, as it's right still now. pretty high. But yeah, yeah as, as of today, you know, the the demand in Rolex, AP, and Patek, which has kind of exploded over the last three or four years, has taken a lot of the money away from those. And not saying that those were ever really trading very 
high anyways that mm. you could pick up like we have some HYTs on our website that we have listed and they're basically like new watches like a yeah. full set box of papers and it's a 66000 retail we have listed asking $27,000 when people ask me about flexibility like on prices we try to price the market but when you there is no market for a watch like that we price it the best we can but there's going to be flexibility on on making offers on watches like that so I mean you're never going to be able to get it for half of what somebody like us is asking right. but you know if you're if somebody asks me hey uh, what's the best price on that Rolex and I give them $150 less than our asking price and I say you know I'll also include shipping you know it's a different experience than hey what's the best price for the HYT and we have it for $28,000 i am like listen I'll take $25 today on the buyer ship to right. how, would, how do you feel about that right so um, it's a different buying experience when, you, when you're buying uh, some of those independents that are not super well known so like Jorn is the first one that kind of popped yep. in terms of market value it seems but so you but there's still so much value in picking up like a Grunfeld a uh, Boutelainen a uh, an HYT which is a funky watch like yep. you know maybe not the highest level of finishing in terms of watch making but it just it, creativity is really where it comes and that's you know I think the farther off base that you go the more value you can get so you know uh, from, a, from a watch and a brand like that yeah Right, uh, I, I totally agree, and, and a lot of those independents, and it's still it's going to continue to be this way. It, there isn't really a secondary market for them, right? So you do your best, you try to price it what you think is appropriate. I think it's smart when the independents try to do, or at least are willing to re- try to resell the watches that mm-hmm. hit the secondary market. You know, the patrimony for Jorn and MBNF, yeah. I know, has a pre-owned program. I'm sure a lot of these companies are at least considering it. Um, and, I think you know, the first one that I noticed was uh, Lindy Bertelin. Yeah. A few years yes, ago. Yes, right. That didn't really work out. Because they, they, they're a very, very new brand. I really like their brand. It's like a cross between like a, an AP and... Uh, See, I don't know, like a Romain Jerome or something. So it's yeah, like, it's <laughs> that's like, actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which you know, rest in peace, Romain Jerome for, for the time that's being. Right. But um, but yeah, Lindy Bertelin because you know they were very hands on. I remember they're actually very close with Tim, and, and they they were doing their resale. Uh, unfortunately, I think their brain kind of took a massive hit in terms of their value. I haven't seen them really trade very often. I've seen them in a while, but the fact that brands are willing to take that on and say, listen, you know, we're we're going to be conscious of what the market price is on these things because this is, you know, it's not everything, but it certainly is, uh, it, it's part of the watch world. You can't ignore yeah, it anymore. Right. You can't ignore it anymore. And it's, and it's sometimes I think the brands look at, at it either counterintuitively or they just aren't paying any attention. When you have episodes in the opposite direction where you have large brands, and we won't name specific brands, but they may see a watch that, and this happened way back when a specific watch came out and it was way over retail when it came out and that was the one that's what upset them like and it's posted at this above retail price and you you just want to go guys you've got inventory floating everywhere on international markets at huge discounts being advertised as new it wouldn't hurt you once in a while to have a watch go online that is on fire it just wouldn't hurt so you know think about it in that that regard and instead they took the exact opposite approach was like no thanks we're just going to keep making watches and it's never going to change so i think independents realize like control your inventory or have somebody you trust partner with you to control the inventory like i think i honestly think we would do a really good job helping support some of these brands just because of oh, yeah. not not 
so much what's happening with Jorn now, but like to give uh, Danny Goldberg and George Mayer a lot of credit, like when I got there, it was sort of the beginning of like the pre-owned Jorn and like where we wanted to go with it. And right. they have just, they hammered it, especially George. I mean, he just hammers it, hammers it, hammers it. And it's eventually, at you know, it was and is paying off. The brand's super hot. Oh, yeah. But the the dynamic is, and I see MBNF sort of maybe in the future. It could be 10 years, and I'll come back and explain why, 10, 15 years. Um, but, like, he just doesn't make, Max just doesn't do a lot of watches. Like, there just aren't any out there. And Jorn, if you do less than 800 mechanical watches a year, you're in, you're out. And, you know, you look at that total production over the lifetime of the brand, you're still, there's still no watches. They just don't exist. They're just not out there. So a fraction of what, like, a brand like Breitling makes in a year, which is what their total production, lifetime production is. Right, right. And it's one, like, you could take that, you could take a model out of a brand like that, Omega, Breitling, Rolex, whoever, and just Mm -hmm. say, out of this specific reference number made in a single year is more than what they've probably produced in a lifetime at Jorn. So yeah. it's it's just a it's an interesting concept. Or Helios. Like Helios I'm sure isn't producing a ton of watches. They probably don't have the capability and they, they maybe don't shouldn't do it. Maybe they ought to keep doing with that. If you got over retail watches, you got over retail watches. Like that's a good thing that that's a good problem to have. Like you should be assessing your uh, if I was at Helios right now I was running the brand and I heard uh, Josh Thanos at uh, the watch box say I had to pay over retail <laughs> one of the sharpest guys in the industry over here paying over retail, I'd be like, yes, this is exactly what we want happening. And now people are going to talk about it. And by the way, there's going to be a few of our listeners, maybe four or five, that are going to go to Helios' website, or they're going to go back to your Instagram page and go, oh, there's that Helios talking about. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And then maybe they'll get a little buzz on it. I think that's awesome. Like, I think it's great. Well, I think I did that. I posted, I posted my Helios. Uh, and so I have, I think it's the, the Gen 1. It's the smooth bezel like the um, uh, sky blue dial um, or a pastel blue dial with the black outline applied numerals, uh, no date, nothing, just simple, perfect, like like an amazing dive watch. So yeah. I posted it on Wet Watch Wednesday, which I need you to start posting. Okay. Today. Wet Watch Wednesday. All right. It's every Wednesday. Let's, we got to start posting and, and reposting. But um, I posted on Wet Watch Wednesday, and then I had a guy reach out to me saying, oh, man, it's a great watch. Asked me about it. I told him, you know, I sent him uh, some info that I knew about it, and he texted me like a week later that he had picked up the watch. So, again, it's a tiny, tiny little uh, brand, and I think it's, I think it's, from what I understand, it's a one-man show. Just one guy. He does everything. Um, so that's why I was hoping cool. that the person who ran the, the social media was him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that is, like you said, that's the future. And, and when you have small brands – they can kind of make those decisions on a, on a whim because even even with companies like uh, Watchbox, you know, a pretty large company, if we wanted to make a like a, a marketing decision or whatever, it has to go through a bunch of different channels. Right. So, and you know, a lot of watch brands are have, are much smaller operations than we are, and I found that out like when I went to go, I had did some work with AP uh, when they started doing their their pre-owned trade-in program. I I guess they kind of abandoned it now, but they did it for a few years. I went to go visit AP's New York. Uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, their New York office on 57th Street, and they had I don't know less. They had like 10 people in that office, and I'm like, oh wow, their their U.S. footprint total was probably 30 people, and we have 200 in a building in Philly. Right. You know, so right. Uh, you, you have you have a better sense of, of of kind of what the brand is. So, but smaller companies like that can pivot 
you know, it's, that's just like a, I guess, basic principle of business yeah. in general, but, you know, they can pivot and they can kind of, uh, you know, be ahead of trends and whatnot. So, uh, that, that was one of the reasons why I firmly believe that independence and obviously well, Rolex and Patek are independents, but we don't talk, we talk like boutique or micro brand with these. Right. We talk about independence, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, usually that's the case. I mean, I think people forget and they should know, although I think think most consumers probably understand this at this point is that the three biggest and hottest main brands that we talk about ap rolex and paddock they're all independent they've been independent yeah. brands so um it's it's always been an issue with and everybody knows the names of the brands but it's always been a conglomerate issue so really any of the other major brands you can think of that are outside of that uh now Technically, I think uh, which like Breitling is still independent. They're, they're not in well, a in a group, but yeah. So, but the other brands that you could think of the Omegas, Cartiers, Vacherons, whatever, mm-hmm. Longa, all part all part of a group, right? Exactly. So, yeah. well, that's and then like so like you have a brand like Longa that, in my opinion, I wish they would be. I wish they were independent because 100%. being part of uh, what they're part of Richemont, right? So, yeah. And not not to say anything negative, but just to be truthful about it, like it's. You know, I think that hurts them. If they if they ran their whole operation soup to nuts by themselves, I think because of the level of watchmaking and you know their if they would cut down production and and increase marketing a bit and just kind of explain to people what they what they have to deliver, um, I think that Longa should be a brand that's up there with these which should be neck and neck with Jorn. Yeah. But I mean, it's in terms of resale value, and that's that's what you know as traders we always kind of refer to it that way. At, at the resale value of of a, uh, a longa is a, is fractional compared to what you're looking at into the your your run of the mill Jorn and but the level of watchmaking, the level of engineering, and the history of those brands uh, of that brand specifically, I mean, it just creates a tremendous buying opportunity. Like I'm mm. selling watches that if they said Paddock on them, they'd be worth 150 grand, but they say longa, so it's a thirty nine thousand yep. dollars. Obviously, it's still a lot of money, but I mean. We're talking relative terms. It's like, come on. Right. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I, I second literally everything you said. And it's one of those situations with the brand where I have a tough time looking at Longa and then comparing it to other brands and finding myself liking whatever the other brand is I'm comparing it to. So, you know, look, Datagraphs are some of the nicest watches ever made, period. Um, mm-hmm. Hard for me to find another chronograph that I'd want at the same price point like 40 to 50,000 like look that's where the market is on like a 5170 paddock that's their chronograph they're yeah. 40 to 50 right now for the most part you can get a data graph mm-hmm. same price so what's the difference is it is it the wearability of the watch maybe I mean for a lot of people I think longas strike them as not as maybe the cases aren't as nice and as refined because they are a little big big and chunky um, especially once you start going beyond anything bigger than just a regular more German a little more yeah a little more German I just you know maybe that's the problem maybe it's the casing I mean I'd be interested to get feedback from actual people who who consider buying them because some of the like the big complicated stuff it's they're tough to wear I mean they they yeah, are. They're too big. It's it's yeah. because they compete in the same spaces as you know, Jorn sort of. I guess you could throw in there, but definitely Paddock uh-huh. and Vacheron. But they are monsters. They're always mentioned yeah. together. Yeah, they, they really are, are. But like the Zeitwerk, there's not a comparable reference from Paddock that you can 
take that case to. So it's sort of in its own world there. Um, or the complication. Yeah, and, and the complication, obviously. But, like, I don't know, the data graphs case is a bit chunky. And if you don't like a big chunky case, maybe it's just not for you. Um, but in terms of just sheer watchmaking and, like, quality, it's as good as anybody. It's as good as anything oh. anyone's producing. And it's always been well, that way. Their basic standard of watchmaking is just it's insane. So high. And they're, well, so, like, you know, Mike Manjos, who's been a huge proponent of Long Beach, probably sold more Long than anyone else on the planet. Um, and, uh, you know, that's one thing he told us. is like every single case, every single watch is going to be assembled by one watchmaker, and it's going to be done twice. So, like, little things, like, things like that, yeah. just, it's awesome. And, and, and with the higher-end paddocks, uh, that's going to be the same, the, the, you know, the same case. But their standard word is that it doesn't matter if it's a Saxonia or if it's a, a, a Zyper. You know, you're, you're going to get the same level of respect Think, and that's kind of how I feel. That's like, interesting. You know, that's, yeah, that's like German that. Thing. Yeah, you must respect us. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of right. Hard ass. That's, that's what I when I think of a longa, I think of a hard ass, but somebody just so much effort. That's kind of where I think. And, and I'm somebody who's always like, I like uh, like handmade cars. Yeah. So when you look at like a Bugatti or something like that, like there's so much effort put into something. That's why you know, like you and I both share a love for uh, for mixed martial arts, MMA, we do. UFC. Yeah. And, and, like, that's one thing, you know, like, when you see a one person putting all this effort into one singular um, endeavor, uh, that's something that always, you know, draws me. And I feel like that's kind of what I look at when I look at uh, Longa. Jorn as well. Jorn is more of um, of a – so that's one a vision of one guy and one guy only. It's a little bit of a dictatorship. And I've said it before, you know, when I went to go visit their building, and the sense I got that is – he was basically like a terrorist in their own building. Everybody was just terrified of him. And not interesting. Not in the sense that like they hated him, but like they were so afraid to disappoint him and he was so easily disappointed. So like if he wants something, it's gonna be made this way. Right. So in that sense, they're similar. Um, but you know, his he his thing is all about wearability. I think that, you know, he always talks about it. he starts with a dial, um, and his cases are always extremely comfortable. Like every watch is wearable, whereas you know, a, a uh, unless you're a guy like maybe Mitchell Schwartz who can, who yeah. can afford, if you know who that is, who can who has the wrist to uh, to handle a a Zeitberg, You know, I can't wear one. Um, the Datagraph 39 Platinum Datagraph is the one I'd wear. I love that watch. It's a perfect it's awesome. size, but anything bigger than that, yeah. Especially in platinum or white gold, it's like you know it becomes top heavy. So you have to have a nine inch wrist in order. To make By the way, like that, yeah. and you've have you you met Mitch in person? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. So I, when he was with the Browns, he was he used to come in with uh, John Greco and, and Alex Mack, and they would hang out for a little bit. Okay. And so he, he was a rookie. He was either a rookie or second season. I think he was a rookie. And he came in, and he was just looking for any kind of watch. And he had he has the biggest wrists of all time. We had one watch that would fit him in that entire store. It was absurd. <laughs> so, Mitch, if you're out there, man, well, we, we miss you. Yeah, we do. Yeah, well, we hopefully well, we'll I, try to get him I, on a podcast. Listen, yeah, let's get him on a podcast because then. Well, so here's, yeah, here's the story. So just before the Super Bowl, he was down here in Miami. I went down to go see him, and he was introducing me to some of his fellow players. So, um, you know, if you know wrist size, like I have roughly a seven inch wrist, which is like I guess that's standard. Yeah. Maybe a yeah. pad larger. Like most people have like between six point five and seven inch wrist. So I'm sitting there at a table with Mitch and two other players, both linemen. Um, and each of those guys have a very large wrist, about eight inches. Yeah. And then you look, at, and then and then Mitch, 
his wrist dwarfs it's the guy's not yeah. it's not it's like human, human being. it's not a real uh, wrist i mean it's it's hysterical like you have to actually shake the guy's hand to understand what we're talking about yeah, i'm i'm that it's like, luckily we're not like you know buddy buddies to the point where we hang out every day because i'm the i'm the kind of jerk off an asshole who would be like, just constantly making jokes about how big he is like i can't help myself but uh <laughs> you know i try to keep keep it to a minimum because you know that's kind of i'm always cracking jokes but um but yeah, so I mean, like, uh, they, and that's kind of the, the thing about uh, Longa that separates itself yeah. maybe from Jorn is the wearability, where Jorn, he's always thinking about the wearability, and there's a story when I went yep. to go meet Jorn with, uh, um, with Tim Osso, uh, Tim was sitting beside Jorn at dinner, and I was sitting across, and Tim was wearing his dual mat, right? Pride of his collection at that point, right? I mean, yeah. you know, he's a huge JLC collector, and he asked, uh, he asked Jorn what he thought about it, and Jorn's reaction or his uh, response was that it was too large it was too thick on the wrist interesting Tim didn't like that <laughs> yeah Tim didn't like that answer and, and ended up didn't stay for after dinner drinks just went back to you know kept it professional uh, whereas you know I made I made sure to get drunk there you with, go with Mr. Jorn and had the experience but um but yeah so like one thing that is very important to Jorn which I think is one of the, the greatest points of his success is that his watches are so wearable so that if you you don't have to know anything about the watch to look at it put it on your wrist and like it Right, that's right. always the first step. Right, right. yep. When, with, the, with the new watch like I have friends who, like, I show them. I have a friend of mine who's a lawyer. So I want to get a watch that, that shows people how I'm successful. That's how a lot of people get into watches, right? Like, I want to be able to impress the people in front of me, right? Not always the best re- way to buy a watch, but any way you get into watches, right? So I start showing him pictures of, like, the Batman. And he's like, oh, that, that that's, I don't like that. Oh, that sucks. I'm just thinking to myself, like, bro, this is the, one of the hottest watches on the, where I show him a Daytona. And he's like, oh, that looks weird. Like, okay, all right. Well, not, it won't look weird to you, you know, after three or four months of buying watches. Yeah, right, that's right. Or staring at watches, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think with, like, Jorn, um, you know, what's interesting is because he did the new vertical tourbillon, which is sort of, like, out of his element, not out of his element, but, like, it's a thick watch. And for the first time, mm-hmm. it's, like, the first thick Jorn outside of the, the new uh, Line Sport collection. They're, they're sp- yeah. Sort of sports watches. Line sports? Yeah. It's like a big disc. Though. It is, like, yeah. It, it does, it's very wearable. It is really wearable. In context, I think that they're probably, as a sports model, they're, you know, you think of them as larger watches. Um, and so just to sort of differentiate the two collections in, in this uh, scenario, it's kind of like that the vertical, I first off, I think it's super cool because in tourbillons and stuff, like I can appreciate the thickness to the watch, right? Like Group of Fours to me, everything was always. <laughs> at an accident, yes. it's all they're they're like monsters. Yeah, wrist. they're monsters, but they're cool because I think what they're expressing is interesting, and so you, there's a little bit of a trade-off there. And I I wonder if that's what um, Mr. Jordan was uh, attempting to do with the vertical, because that thing in person is ridiculous. That is awesome. Well, I haven't seen it's, it. I, what, what's a millimeter size? On um, I think it's still. I think you get it in the forty millimeter case. Uh, I could be wrong on that, okay. but I believe it, you can do the forty or forty-two, or which one of those two sizes, right? Um, but the thickness, I want to say, is is got to be in the fifteen to sixteen millimeter thickness. Um, oh, yeah, I mean it's. Wow. But, yeah, the crown is. Panerai, you're getting toward trending towards Panerai. You got the crystal, which is uh, domed, and it just it's like that's just the way the watch has got to look. But it it's super impressive like visually the watch is yeah. very interesting and i just thought that the the it is cool chronometry behind it what he was thinking made sense like i sort of hear the same thing when group of fours came out with their multi-axis turbions quadruple yeah the quad quad turb yeah, <laughs> because you know what three turbions just isn't it's, just really not. it's not you need you need uh, four 
I mean, why do three? I, mean, come on. I wonder if there's like a, a like a point of diminishing return where the watch gets less accurate. Who? Yeah. For, there, who was just the watch? I think it was Roger Dupuis. They did the. They had like eight balance wheels or eight turbions on their watch. Yeah. I mean, it gets a little ridiculous at a, at a certain point. But you know, I mean, it, but it's right. Like, that's... Yeah. Look, I mean, I, this is us. This is us being uh, like busting balls on a couple of these companies or, yeah. or, or watches that came into existence. But in in reality, like. Jorn, the the Jorn uh, Longa comparison, I think, is a legitimate concern for people who are buying the watches. Although everybody I know that's ever bought a Longa, or owns one or has one in their collection, I should say, has it currently in their collection. They love them. I mean, they really do. I, I think he just takes yeah. a little bit of time getting used to. That's all. Uh, and you know. Yeah, it's not it's not for like an entry level watch buyer unless you're like some crazy nerd. Yeah. You know, like there's there's those guys out there who are like you know by the time they're 16 they understand. You know, uh, they they can, they can they can take apart and put together their you know their Seiko automatic or something like yeah. that. You know, those are those guys out there, but those are few and far between. Um, definitely not me. I'm not a I'm not an attention to detail guy. Though, like, it's kind of I'd say that you're closer to that than I. I, don't I know. You, you, so like, pay attention I to just get like the attention that I pay uh, to is like um, finishing on movements and stuff. I'm horrible when somebody comes out with a new reference and they go that the changes are the hands and the dot. Like, I, a lot of times, don't even realize. Like, hands, yeah. I never think about hands. It's just not something... Everybody's like, what if the hands really set this watch off? I'm like, all right, I guess so. Um, there are times when some hands are interesting, and other times I'm just like, I could have gone... You could have thrown yeah. six different kinds of hands on there. I probably would have been okay with all of them. Well, there's a new Mercedes hand on the Yachtmaster, which makes it more valuable. Come on, guys. Yeah, well, so okay. that one you hear about because that's, you know, they're... Uh, any any yeah. dial change to a Rolex all of a sudden sets the world on fire, okay. but like yeah, the MK two dial, yeah, or something, but you yeah. get your mark two dials, you mark five dials, uh, but with, with the hands to um, like any other changed model, like I I don't know that it it moves me one way yeah. or the other. I don't know. Some people are more detail oriented than that. They love that part of it. Uh, I mean, it is what you're looking at the whole time. Right. You know, the back of movement. Yeah, I like hands. I'm a, yeah. I'm a hands guy. Like, if you have the wrong hands on the watch, it can completely destroy it. But it, I think for me, it has to be cohesive. Like, you can't have, though I say that, and I'm also, and I also love Elaine Silverstein. So, what does that, what does that mean? Right. right. When you have just like, you know, basically like an acid trip on a watch. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, well, th well, then, so then, then you go into brands like Romain Jerome. Yeah. Which were, all art really n not a lot of horology value but just all art and like and just weirdness yeah. um a brand that kind of just went out of business recently filed bankruptcy yeah. um probably i don't know how many watches they made a year but it feels like they made way too many they I know. yeah <laughs> so you do hear stories about this happening where i guess they would have been a startup right back when it was romaine jerome right. they just had the recent uh branding team change to rj watches um I don't know that it helps that, anyway, it. <laughs> right? It just—I think that that's the opposite way to go. RJ watches sounds like something you could buy at, you know. At by the way, you don't hear of branding changes on on brands that I can think of. I've never heard a brand change the name of the company, or mm -hmm. or just like eliminate the the words. I, you know, I'm sure they they well, spent Grand Seiko. Yeah, but it was just that. Well, the dial. The, they just did the dial things but it was like to actually change the name of a brand in the middle of it like i just it, it is a little bit weird and it should have like indicated that they they're going through some some sort of issues there um I, to be honest sure. dude i'm sure you feel the same way i am surprised this does not happen to more brands 
I just don't know where yeah. the longevity is in a lot of it, especially if we go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this. Like, if you aren't active socially, if you're not engaging customers and, and putting... You, it's, you need to do more than to just make a product. You have to be able to, right. to not stand behind it tell and a tell a story. Like, it just doesn't do... Yeah enough for me as a consumer or as somebody who has to then go and try and sell your product for you uh, I'd yeah. s on some level to, to vouch for it. Like, I think um, Hot Launch is cool. I think some of the watches are, yeah. are cool. I just don't know anything about the brand. Like, where's... Well, cause, yeah, it seems like yeah, maybe they're being being made by robots or something. I, but they're they're really cool watches. Like the, the watches. Is there a Mister Hotlands? Yeah. Or, like, like who's who's, the who's and where's the story? And I don't remember reading press. And like, what do we think about the watchmaking and the philo philosophically? There's one guy at home right now screaming into maybe. his phone saying, "I know every. They are a great brand. That's, what are you talking that's, about? That's and <laughs> I hope there is somebody that's at home screaming that at us because. I think the watches well, send me a text are cool. Email. Yeah, we're, and, and we may. And so, but again, and you know what they're going to forget is they're going to skip the part where I said, "Hey, it's, it's cool. I like. The, I actually yeah, like the watches. It's just what, like, yes. where, where, what is it? Well, Pre-owned, yeah. you can buy them so unbelievably cheap, and it's like, all right, so I can get a watch that was you know thought up in a lab, designed all funky, weird, this TV screen dial with all sorts of depth and you know certain level of finishing." that nobody, if you wear this watch in your town, nobody else is wearing that watch in your town. And pre-owned, you can buy it for a fraction of the retail price. So that's, that's the good part right. of them not doing, you know, not doing the marketing and distribution right. job, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, look, right now, I, I don't know, we're going to see, it's going to be unfortunate because it's going to affect a lot of, back on a sort of serious note, it's going to affect a lot of people Yeah. Um, in the world. And that's going to be... Mm -hmm. Know, what happens to some of these brands that can't self-sustain? Um, you know, Richemont yeah. Swatch and the ones who need to set, sell a lot of volume. They they do. Those are the ones that are going to be because the, the, the amount. There's still going to be buyers out there. The guys who have money through you know when times are good or usually have money when times are bad. But you know, as a general rule, a lot you know uh, luxury kind of retracts during a, a recession, yeah. which it looks like we're going into as as temporary as I believe it may be or, or say Donald Trump says it is going to be you know there's going to be some sort of retraction yeah. so if you need to if, in order to, for your brand to survive you need volume that's going to be yeah. an issue um, but yeah it's going it's to be it weird. is going to be weird it's going to be weird and it's going to be you know I think um, again I'm more interested at this point even though we're just going into it seeing what it looks like on the other side how how the brands yeah. come out what adjustments are going to be made um, you know, every, it's just going to be a different buying environment again. It was really, I think, 2008 initially was scarier because I think everybody, like right now, understands it'll stop. It's, it's going to stop happening. Yeah. Markets and things like that, and then yeah. what happens um, to how, how we support those uh, in our own countries that aren't working or whatever right now, and and sure. do that. Yeah, yeah. Like in 2008, it was a balance sheet problem, right? banks were over leveraged yeah people get mortgages that shouldn't have been getting mortgages it was just it was a completely different environment this is like we there are some economic signs that were a little worrying or have always been on people's radars for the last few years a, a huge 11 year bull market like we just eventually it was going to come this happens to be super scary for a lot of people you know i'm you look we're in the discretionary goods business man like nobody needs to buy a watch you might want to sell a watch and get out of it right now if you need to free up some cash. Um, 
Well, you're not going to get a lot of money. You're not, so right? That, and that's so, one thing, like, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, even a company like us, we're going to be careful because, you know, sales have been good these last few weeks. I think you're seeing the same yep. as I am. But, I mean, we can't just bank on, you know, people just ignoring what's happening in the stock market. Or whatever, of course not. And buying watches. So, so, you know, we're, we're being very careful with buying, and, and there's a lot of dealers out there doing that as well. Because if things really do get bad, like you don't want, nobody wants to be holding, up, you know, holding that bag. So, uh, and this is our business. This is not, this is not a... Uh, this is not a, um, a hot right. for us. This is the way we yeah. feed ourselves. So, so we have to take a look. We have to look at it differently than a lot of our customers, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is buying right now. is not a bad if you know, for us. If, if this ends up being temporary, then you know we'll be the benefactors of of, of buying you know uh, very cautiously. Yeah. If this happens to be like an eight week or, or uh, you know uh, a twelve week thing, or even you know even a six month thing, whatever, you know this might be. We can keep afloat, and a lot of these brands keep afloat. There's going to be a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Are you? Somebody, somebody's blowing somebody, leaves. Is there a train? There's somebody's literally in my corner uh, blowing leaves, and they've been there for five minutes. Well, well, I mean, hopefully you have a firearm. Why don't you go ahead and just show show him, show him that he needs to stop it? Yeah, that was awesome. Sorry about that. <laughs> Maybe we'll get that in the uh, background. Yeah. Right, well, it's been about an hour now, so I think we uh, we should wrap it up. Sweet. But yeah, I mean, this has been yeah. a great talk. It was. It's good to see you and talk to somebody from the office. Um, obviously, we'd like to keep doing this, man, uh, as long as you'll have me. Yeah. Because what are, what else are we doing? That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm we're social. Having these conversations with our yeah. clients too. We so. are. And I, that's. I've had two phone calls in the last uh, day. Uh, basically, good customers that are like, you know, what's going on? Should I buy? Should I not buy? Like, not overly freaked out yeah. yet. But are cognizant. Um, uh, I also yeah, had so many yeah, calls. yeah, and I think people are if I think smart buyers and sellers are just approaching this cautiously everywhere. Like I don't think anybody's quite right. ruled out doing anything one way or the other, and everybody's open. It's not it's not total panic at least from the people I've talked to. So and hopefully we'll keep it that yeah. way. Yeah, man. Yeah, no. It's uh, I think you know it's going to be weird for the next few weeks. Um, this is the best way to talk watches in my opinion so we'll keep yeah, doing man. this and uh we'll try to put it together reach out to any of your famous friends who want to get on the podcast i think it'd be great some, let's see what stuff. we can do I'll, I'll see if i can put some names all together right. you do the same all right man we'll jt do. thanks for having me awesome you got thanks, it John. yes sir all right Talk all right later, man. Bye-bye.